What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, the Football Academy. I'm here supporting tonight with Braden and Will. How's it going, guys? It was a bit of a uh, frustrating weekend to watch on lots of levels. Uh, we'll get into it. I just want to get through this fucking episode. <laughs> That's all I got right now. I wish I could give you more. I wish I loved life a little bit more right now, but I don't. So I'm going to let it out on this podcast, and y'all going to have to deal with this shit. Get the square jar out. <laughs> All right. I mean, it was a very interesting week. So before we get into the results, Braden, would you like to co- go over the betting results for the weekend? So uh, it was a very eventful week in uh in betting this weekend as uh, six of the 10 matches ended in a draw, which, you know, we kind of chatted with that uh, off, off air, so to speak. And it's just like, you know, this is going to be a disaster for our bets. Um, But getting into the results in third place this week, we had Sapoon getting three of the uh, 10 matches, correct. Uh, Returning uh, five sixty five on an outlay of a thousand. Um, so not a great week, um, but like I said, when six to ten matches are a draw, it, it's always going to be really tough to to pick it out. Being in second place this week, we have Will getting two of ten matches correct, but putting a big one seventy five bet on a draw in the Mercy Side Derby to return nine eleven seventy five. Pretty nicely done there, Will. I hate this. <laughs> And first, I picked uh, four of the ten games correct. Uh, still wasn't profitable. Uh, returned nine thirty-two dollars and two cents on outlay of a thousand dollars for ROI of minus six point eight. Uh, not great overall, but I, this is one of those weeks I'm kind of just happy to uh, take the small losses and and I'll come back in a week that's a little bit more favorable and be fine. I absolutely agree with you. And I think this week, it, I put a lot of faith into certain teams that I guess I shouldn't have. Sheffield. One, Sheffield. It was all Sheffield. Yeah. I mean, $350 from me, 250 from you. <laughs> they really took us out for a ride. But I, I'm not going to make any jokes to begin this game because I think uh, at least one of us is going to have quite firing opinions. So let's get into it. Everton taking on Liverpool to determine who's the best team in Liverpool and possibly in England right now. And Everton football club going behind and then uh, making it two two controversial goal disallowed at the very end. Brayden, I'm going to come to you first before we uh, let Will pop off and uh, let us know his thoughts. What did you make of the game, the decisions, and uh, if you had any feedback for anybody? There's a lot to talk about in this game. I, I feel like I'll, there's a lot to really break down. Um, you've got, ob- obviously, the big decision in this game is uh, the Pickford uh, decision uh, when he made a what I think was a pretty reckless challenge into Van Dyke. You know, it, it happens a lot. You see keepers come out for it, but like, at, at what point are they just players and if they put another player in danger they should be punished for it uh, but you know keepers get a lit way with a lot and that's just how uh, it, it seems to go this time so 
Braden, before you go, uh, this is a genuine question. I thought the reason he did not get anything was because of the offside. And because like he was the play was offside, so it was technically dead. And that's when it happened. So the the decision would be, is it violent conduct? Because you can get violent conduct at any point, right? Like You can be walking onto the pitch and like flick someone's ear. And if the ref decides that's violent conduct, that's you get sent off for it. That's not that doesn't have to be in the in the play, so to speak. Uh, but I mean, I think you're kind of right of why it wasn't considered a penalty straight away is that it was blown dead. I don't know what kind of went through the decision. It would be nice to, it would be nice to, so if you watch rugby, when they do VAR, uh, rugby and Aussie rules both have the uh, VAR refs mic'd and you can hear um, what their, what their decisions are, what their thought process is, how they're applying things like that. And it really goes a long way to explaining why they are making a decision that you know you can still disagree with them but you can say okay this is why they made the decision and and i kind of get it or don't or or whatever and this i'm just not sure what the thought process was that led them to this like i think that uh, you can argue that it could have been violent conduct they could have just said it was blown dead and it was just a challenge that happened after the whistle of a play that didn't technically happen because it was blown offside uh, so I do think this also has really interesting implications for the offside rule they have in general now where uh, the ref or the, the linesman keeps his flag down and and raises it after uh, play continues and they wait to see if a shot happens. So, I mean, is this setting a precedent where you can just go clean someone out because it was actually offside and it's fine? I mean, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. The most ridiculous thing to me is the least egregious thing by letter of the law is what happened at the end. Uh, I want to be as mad as all fuck about that being called offside. But given the letter of the law to the fucking fingernail, they got it right. And VAR did what it's supposed to do. So uh, actually to that point, I, I didn't think that was considered offside, like because the arm can't legally score a goal. That's what I said. <laughs> I, I must have missed that inter that changed the interpretation of that. Because um, I mean, for a while at least, it was your arm can be like pointing to the goal, like whatever. You can whatever. Score with. Yeah, yeah, but you can't <laughs> score with your arm, so that's not offside. Um, so I. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I was surprised as you when that was I, waved off. Like, um, look, I tried. I that was me trying to be rational. The whole thing doesn't make fucking sense to me, and it hasn't made sense for three days. I've just been a mad person. It's not. It's not just the off. It's not just the last call, and it's not just the pick for foul. Because if it was just the pick for foul, it'd be fine. It's that I've spent the last three days going through every goddamn center back we have to see who can step up and just replace Verge. Because if you haven't heard, my homie is out for an indeterminate amount of time. He could need a TARDIS, I don't know. Joel Matip is fine to play, even though he went back on the table right after the match. He's injury prone, and as much as I love the guy, he's injury prone. After Joe Gomez, who's kind of okay, there's youth and bubblegum and jesus 
I don't know what happens now. And that's the thing that's had me all weekend. What the fuck happens now? And I wish you could see my hands because they're just out and I have no more words because I don't know what happens. All I know is this is about to get really exciting for every other fucking team. And that if Jordan Pickford, who somehow still escaped punishment in retrospect, did not have eggs on his house or something bad happened or just some instant karma where he made his noodles too not al dente, just something happened to him to have some restitution for making me yell into this microphone that is expensive. I just, I don't believe in anything unless Jordan Pickford had some sort of bad day at some point. Do you feel better now, Will? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I feel worse, actually. (laughs) Oh, God. What do we do? What do we do, guys? What do we do? I mean, that's about to be hilarious. (laughs) I'm very sorry, Virgil van Dijk. You are hurt. And it sucks to lose a player of that caliber. But, like, yo, welcome to everybody else's world. Because, like, everybody else has lost players for the season. And it did not happen to you guys the last couple of years. And you have been very lucky with it. But, like, for us, like, it has happened. Arsenal fans will agree with the United fans. Like, so, you know, it's part of the game. And as terrible as that whole pick for tackle was, we can debate whether it was a red card or not. But, like, I don't think he went in with, like, malicious intent whatsoever to be like, yo, I'm going to fucking take out his ACL. Um, I will say that I think VAR missed some uh, crazy, crazy, um, you know, chances in that game. Because I think Mane should have been sent off with two yellows out there. Like he dove for that fucking when nothing happened to him he pretending like, and then he like, yeah, he, li- literally when the red card happened for Richarlison on the other side, you see after get like getting knocked off the ball, Mane's Mane literally tripped somebody. So it's like, you have to call that Robertson was out there fucking kicking out at uh, Allen. If, if you're going to call what Martial did as like a retaliation red card, these are like retaliations and red cards. Like, come on. Yeah, that's fair. Like, you know, and with VAR, that's all. Give us consistency. Either you call all of them or you don't call all. Like, give us something in terms of just no as fans knowing where we all stand. Because, again, with the offside rule, like, it's beyond me how the last goal was not off. And, like, as much as I love the fact that Liverpool did win, I was just like, yeah, what, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was you very know, funny, but, like, I don't understand. I appreciate it. Like, if, if that I happened to Manchester United, right there, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, as, as Manchester United, if that happens to us, I would, like, be close to breaking a TV. Like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know, so it, I completely understand the frustration <laughs> for that, but I think VAR has kind of dropped the ball. And everything that has happened this season, it's been like, all we ask for is consistency. And that is the one thing that is unavailable. But I will say, uh, it sucks for Virgil van Dijk. Is there any news on Thiago? Uh, It seems as if he escaped any serious injury. He'll probably be available for Ajax is what I'm hearing right now. All right. Good for y'all. As I pray to God that we don't get slapped by PSG. Anyway, moving on to the next game, a game that was... Very, 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 very entertaining. Chelsea taking on Southampton. Chelsea at one point looking comfortable. Timo Werner doing his thing. Him and uh, Kai Havertz both ended up scoring their goals. But uh, Southampton had a lot to say. And 
ultimately ended up getting the point at Stamford Bridge. And again, you see Frank Lampard not being able to close out a game. You see Chelsea's defensive uh, vulnerabilities. And uh, I don't know who to blame it on, Kepa or uh, Zuma. Well, what did you make of that? Uh, I put it on Kepa. That's just me personally. Um, so, the th- like, Chelsea looks so good. Like, Havertz looked like, like they, God, they look so good. I apologize. I won't be off this whole episode. I'm still riled up. But, like, Chelsea looked so solid. And then the Saints came to play, and it made me feel, I, I enjoyed this more than I should have, honestly. Like, I really got a kick out of watching Chelsea go up and show that they were the team that we thought they were. And then show that they were the team that they actually are, which is having no defensive capabilities towards the end of a match. Danny Ings has more goals since the start of last season than Jamie Vardy and Jamie Vardy won the golden boot. At this point, can we just say the man's class and it cannot be a joke and just talk about how actually talented he is and how he brings so much to this team. Yeah. He's good at scoring goals. I'll I'll concede that. Um, This was almost the funniest collapse of a London team uh, this weekend. I, I cannot believe like, and this just highlights what we talked about with Chelsea so far when we talked about the transfer window and such of just they got all these great attacking players. That is great. Their actual problem is on the back end. And, you know, they got Mendy. Mendy's out, which is a real bummer for Chelsea, but it kind of is what it is. And, you know, much like Van Dyke in uh, Liverpool, you know, Chelsea have to deal with that fact. And they, you know, they still got Kepa and Kepa did Kepa things until Chelsea figures out this back line. It's, I don't know why this won't be a normal occurrence of just being kind of dominant and not really being able to hold on to anything. Um, as an Arsenal fan, I've witnessed us do this several times over the you know last 15 years or so. Uh, but you've got to be able to close out these leads. And I don't, especially as long as Kepa is back there, I, this Chelsea back line just look very nervous whenever a team kind of has their shit together and is attacking. You know, in American football, where when people say, when you have a lead, you need to kind of run the clock, run uh, the running back and, you know, keep running the time. You kind of need to do that in, um, our football soccer as well, where you need to kind of know how to recycle the ball, like just slow the game down, play it at your pace. You know, even if the opponents come in high press, you know how to get out of tight situations and you kind you need leadership at the back in terms of center backs. And you also need a very good, like midfield. I think Chelsea don't really have a players who can do that. So that's why when they're chasing a game or like it's early on open, they can play that game. But over time, when you keep attacking them on the same point, it's like, there's nobody who can be like, I give me the ball. It's all gonna like, let's all calm the fuck down. Like Kante for as great he, as he is as a midfielder is not great on the ball. Kovacic is, but like, for some reason he, he can't fit in. Cause you can't, you kind of have to fit Mount and Havertz together, you know, keeping them happy. You also have to put in Pulisic, Timo Werner and all these players. So like in order to feed all of them, you, he kind of, you make sure the team is not balanced enough. And I think that's where Chelsea's uh, major problem is as things currently stand. Cause I don't know. They, I, 
it's going to be a problem for them. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Klopp's time at Liverpool early on where they were scoring goals, but just could not see our games. But, you know, I think Chelsea for a club, they just have so much talent that I think whether a manager is good enough or not is not going to be the question. But uh, they play Man United next at Old Trafford, back-to-back losses for United. So um, I think it will be very interesting to see if uh, Chelsea can take advantage and bounce back in the next game. Any final thoughts for this game on, especially on, I I think, uh, Southampton, because we've kind of talked about them bouncing back finally. And is it like we're finally starting to see glimpses of what we did last season? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. They deserve a lot of credit in this too, right? Like it can't just be that Chelsea are bad. You also have to have a team that's capable of, of taking advantage of it. And, you know, a little earlier in uh, like a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I really liked the addition of Che Adams to the Southampton team, and he came up to he came out to play this game, and he's a he's a good player for them, and just takes a little bit of the pressure off of Ings and provides them with the opportunities. And I think that you you might see a much improving South Southampton team. Like it was kind of when they played Spurs earlier in the year and just got comprehensively beaten. It was. It looked a little bit like they were regressing, um, and and it looked very much the same early on in this match. Uh, but they stuck with it, and they got a deserved point out of it. Yeah, once they get once they get kicking, like it's a decent side to watch. They're a fun side to watch, and they have lots of stuff going forward as far as attack. They just have to run into a defense that allows them to, you know kind of play a little bit more free and I y'all already know how I feel about him. I don't even know. I'm trying to add on to what Brayden said. Y'all know, y'all know all of these boys keep doing you boo. Y'all made me happy. (laughs) I think it definitely will be interesting to see how Southampton does moving forward, but two teams that uh, needed a win, I think going into this game and the two teams that I guess know each other very well because of the familiarity of the managers, Mikel Arteta going to uh, Eddie had, with Arsenal, Manchester City at home, favored at minus 240. Aguero's big, big comeback. Arsenal at plus 550. I, uh, I think they were kind of big-time underdogs at the time. And a much, much different game kind of panned out because I didn't think at any point a team looked as much of an underdog. And I think Arsenal played very, very well um, overall. Braden, I'm going to come to you first. Do you think... Uh, Arsenal deserved a 1-0 loss, or do you think they ex- you should have gotten something out of it? I, I mean, I, I feel the 1-0 was pretty fair, all things considered. I I think that Arteta overthought this match a little bit, uh, playing William as a false nine, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to Guardiola. We've called him a bald fraud several times here in the past few weeks, but... Um, he definitely had a plan for Aubameyang coming off the left, which was basically we're going to sit Kyle Walker here and that's not going to happen because Kyle Walker can actually run with Aubameyang, um, unlike most of City's other central defenders. Uh, and that kind of stifled a lot of the good outlets of uh, Arsenal and kind of kept them from doing what they did in the FA Cup uh, semi when th- they beat City. Uh, on basically on the counterattacks to Aubameyang. And 
you know, there were some good performances from Arsenal. I thought Saka had a really good game. Uh, Danny Zabias had a really good game, won all of his duels, uh, six interceptions, two key passes. Like, he's really coming into his own in this Arsenal midfield. And you add Partey to it, and you've got, like, maybe you have something. But, you know, Arsenal's still not fully there. Uh, our season's not really going to be defined by away to City. It's going to be uh, some of the other matches against teams that are probably closer to being our direct rivals for top four. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think City are deserved winners in this game, in my opinion. I City are deserved winners. They, I'm not going to say they look the better side. I feel like just from the eyeball test, City got away with one. I feel like Arsenal looked the better side, especially towards the back half of the match. I feel like I saw more from Arsenal than I did from City. Uh, I do kind of agree with Pep learning his lesson from what we saw in the FA Cup uh, semi because most of that stuff does fall down that side. And Kyle had a very, very good game. And I hate saying that. Um, I have to touch on it because I'm the guy who wants to touch on these things. Um, no terrible pun intended. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, the moment with Sergio Aguero, that's kind of making the rounds on this side of the pond, not so much over there, uh, interaction with the ref whose name I'm going to butcher, but it's okay. Seeing Massey Ellis. Um, you guys give me your thoughts before I go any further, because it's one of those things that I have to answer to my friends about. So, your thoughts first. <laughs> I mean, I think he shouldn't have done that. Um, I think Angel Di Maria got red carded uh, against Arsenal uh, several years ago when he was at United uh, for something very similar. And you see people touch the referees and linesmen in kind of a jovial, uh, joking manner and such all the time. And I think that's kind of, I don't want to say desensitized, but I think it kind of, there's a lot of, Ideally, you would like to say, especially with uh, female referees, you would like to say, you know, you just shouldn't touch them, right? Like, you just should not do that. But I, I don't know. I, I thought it was not a great look all the way around, and Aguero shouldn't have done that. And I think if you asked him, he would probably say, yeah, that probably isn't a great look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think in terms of the image that it portrayed, probably not great. But um, it kind of goes down to, like, you know, why did you do that? And that's only something, like, Aguero can answer. So, like, I don't think he had any malicious intentions to be, like, hey, like, because it's a woman referee. But, you know, again, I don't know that. So um, it sucks. And I wish, um, you know, Man City or, like, the player would just come out and apologize and just get get it over with, in my opinion. Because you could really just come out get it done and instead of just like all this social media um you know stuff that has boiled over everywhere yeah i think that's yeah. a good point he should just come out and apologize in my opinion and be done with it sooner rather than later uh i don't think he meant anything malicious by it. and if i can be completely honest it's being <clears throat> i think it is a thing he shouldn't have done but most of the things i've seen reported on this have been solely on our side of the listenership over here in America. And I think there's more of a meal being made out of it over here than there is over there because just don't touch the ref. Don't touch a lady ref. Just don't touch people unless they want you to. Uh, and maybe don't 
blow it out of proportion until we figure out that he's okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I heard, I saw a lot of Arsenal Twitter being upset about it, but like, I couldn't tell how much of that is Arsenal Twitter actually being upset about it or because it was another chance to moan about someone on the other team who should have gotten a red card. Like, I kind of feel like it was some of that from our fans on there. But, I mean, you know, honestly, you you described it. Like, men shouldn't touch women in the workplace. And that's what this is. This is a workplace. I I will say one thing, though. Uh, I do wonder... Like there are images of me, and this has been like something I have been struggling with since this game. Um, you know, Wayne Rooney at times just absolutely yelling at the linesman. And I wonder if like some player did that today and it was a woman ref, like how that would be interpreted. And That's maybe fair. it was just in a heat of the moment of what happened. And as I said, you apologize, you come out and make a statement and just get it done with. Because I think in terms of a game, this was still very, very decent. As you said, um, Kai Walker did his job. Another player who really impressed me, honestly, was Ruben Diaz. You kind of hope so with the money that they paid. But I think Guardiola, if he does find somebody in a Ruben Diaz and you have the quality of a Nathan Ake next to him and you have the quality of Laporte with him, there's something there uh, that he has not had in a very long time. So uh, maybe we will see some uh, special, t- I guess, good 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 games from manchester city coming up but i don't know how their injury report is going to look like but moving on to the next game newcastle united welcomed manchester united a wounded animal as i would describe them right now uh under ole Gunnar solskjaer a game that i don't think the final score really describes how most fans felt throughout the game 4-1 the final result 1-1 for most of the game a quick early Luke Shaw own goal and uh, it seemed like a hard time but Captain Fantastic Harry Maguire did something finally and I think props to him uh, going out and you know proving his doubters wrong at least for a game and kind of being like hey like shut the fuck up and I think then the United class just oozed in the last five minutes and it looked pretty good Braden, any uh, particular thoughts because I don't really have a lot to say about the middle part of the game because it was just a lot of shit football. Yeah, I agree with that. If you look at the shot chart, I think United settled for a lot of poor shots in this match and just kind of took... And, you know, Newcastle were probably very happy to allow United to take uh, a lot of shots from outside the box. And, you know, United had a lot more chances. They piled the pressure on, but... uh, Newcastle dealt with most of it until the last like 10, 15 minutes or so. And and then that's when the floodgates really open. So I, I think you're right that the final score doesn't nec- isn't necessarily indicative of how this game went for the whole 90. But um, I, I do think that United pretty, excuse me, Manchester United clearly uh, were the better team in this one overall, I think. United were the better team. Which one? The one who was better. I really... <laughs> I find it funny, first off, that uh, Manchester United scored five goals. Uh, like, contributed the entire scoreline. Love it. Um, I really had hope that Newcastle were just going to hold real hard. But once the floodgates opened, you kind of, like, Newcastle are making me regret every that $75 so much harder in every match. <laughs> and this is really what this was about. 
Because we start the day with that, and then I'm watching United just kind of like rip into my money. And But full marks to Harry Maguire for the performance, at least like that's a galvanizing thing for the captain to do something. I'm not going to say put the team on his back. I'm going to say put it on his head because it's so huge. And <laughs> carrying the boys, you know, props where props are due. Um, I next week is going to be interesting because I think the person who gets the result saves his skin and the guy who doesn't. You mean the United Chelsea game? I mean, I, I mean, but yeah, I think that's, well, it's more on someone else's I mean, I, 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 I don't think Frank Lampard's getting fired anytime soon. At least not before the end of the season. I can guarantee you that. I think the wheels have to come all the way off. I mean, we yeah, mean like, like uh, uh, bottom five. Yeah, like getting knocked out of the Champions League and like bottom five kind of a situation. I think if he does one of those jobs good enough, he's going to stay. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I don't really know. I, I still think... Um, He's going to be gone before uh, December. So that is my opinion of him as things stand. But uh, what did you guys make of uh, Steve Bruce, though? Because, like, progressively, Newcastle have gotten worse as the season's gone on. As, like, other teams have gone, like, okay, we'll figure out how to play. Like, now that they've figured out how to play with each other, like, Newcastle just out there, like, oh, we're all shit together. Like, John Joe Shelby, I think, like, waste of oxygen on the pitch, like, he has very, very good moments, and I know you love him, Will, but, like, the game he played was just not good enough. And at You're some right. point, it, it, like, you guys have said this, at some point you need to fire Steve Bruce to go bring somebody else in. But do you think because of COVID, because of, you know, the financial implications that come off of firing somebody like Steve Bruce, uh, it's going to keep them in their jobs this year? That's a good point that I hadn't considered that, especially when you talk about Newcastle, you're not just talking about the sporting, you know, this, this, the sporting consequences of these decisions, but also uh, the financial implications. So I don't know. Like, I kind of think if Newcastle can string together enough points to stay up, I don't think that Newcastle fire them until maybe the end of the year. Like, I could see a situation at that point where they decide to part ways and, who knows if maybe um, they'll try to sell the team again or something like that. I I don't know. Um, but, you know, Newcastle did have there, – there was a good chance for Callum Wilson that he missed in that, and they just kind of seemed to do enough to hang around and enough to be annoying and enough to get a few points here and there, and they're never really going to do much more than that, I don't think, but – I, I have a hard time seeing them get fired because their season's not defined by how they do against Manchester United. They they can compartmentalize this and say, all right, we'll go beat the shit out of Burnley or whoever's next. <laughs> I was thinking Burnley. I was like, who are going to say Burnley? Every next? every um, team that I, I say they're going to go beat the shit out of the next team is just going to be Burnley from now on. <laughs> Burnley's my filler team. Um, I with the talent they have, I can see them getting rid of him earlier. But if you do, do you have any money to go get someone better? And like, what this can go one of two, this can go one of two ways. You can either find someone better 
and then hope that that attracts you someone who wants to buy your team. Like I got this manager somehow magically and he's inspirational Buy me or that's not, that's not happening. Dude. Or like, the real option, which is like, if you want this team to be better, it's the guy who's making them play the way they play. It ain't them. They're fine. You got to get rid of him. But do you give that much of a shit about the product? Like, I mean, I, I think as you kind of went the right way, but I think, I guess, bigger picture, I didn't look at it quite in terms of the ownership. I think if they can get somebody who's up and coming, who could uh, go out and do well, like a Pochettino when he was at Southampton kind of a piece, I think that would be great. But um, in terms of getting better than Steve Bruce in this COVID market, I just don't know. Because it'll be hard to attract somebody in Newcastle like Joel Linton and shit, like whose contracts are going to be on the table for a while. Like Joel Linton's fucking shit for a club like Newcastle for the amount of money that they're paying for him. So it's going to be tough, tough times, I think, for uh, them coming up. But we shall see. As you said, Manchester United is not going to define their season. A game that could define either one of their two teams' season who played in the game, Sheffield United taking on Fulham. Sheffield United won, Fulham won a very, very terrible game between two teams. And it was kind of like my worst fear going into this game that Sheffield are not going to be able to outplay Fulham. And I will be like, yo, Sheffield are fucking terrible this year. And that is kind of what uh, happened after I saw the game. Brayden. Yeah, I think that analysis is spot on. I, You know, Sheffield got a penalty late to equalize, but, you know, Fulham missed a penalty in this. Like, the, in all measures, Fulham probably should have won this game. Like, they, they had the chances, and I, they probably should have won, and they just didn't and got a draw. And I think that's very, very alarming for Sheffield. Uh, and this is kind of the game that, to me, takes Sheffield from maybe they're not quite as good as they were last year, but they'll finish top of the bottom half, like that sort of thing, like in the, you know, 11 to 14 spot to, I think they're now squarely relegation favorites. If, if not just relegation candidates, like I don't, I have very little faith that Sheffield are going to do that much. The, the rest of the season here. Can't disagree. Um, this, this is the Mitrovich game. <laughs> this is what that is to me. Um, the most lackadaisical penalty I think I've seen because he changed his mind right when he gets to the spot. He's like, oh, God. You need, <laughs> you need to go watch more Ainsley Maitland-Niles penalties then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. that That's that's on the B-roll for after we get done with the podcast. Um, then he gives away the penalty at the other end. Uh, by just straight up kicking the dude in the ankle, which is dope. Um, honestly, there's two matches this weekend that I can sum up thusly. The lack of attacking options, and not just attacking options, but options who can score, are what's going to end up with four to five of these teams going down. Because that's like uh, McBurney put like 79,000 headers directly on goal, like right into the keeper's hands. No one can score. And that's why these teams are going to be relegation fodder. I want 
Sheffield to be better, but like there's nothing going forward and they don't have those fans and those fans gave them passion and carried those guys further than we thought they would. They ain't got them and they can't hear them from inside the empty stadium. They're kind of fucked. I think at a certain point when you've come out, surprise everybody with the way you play and everybody's kind of getting like, Hey, used to how you kind of line up and stuff. And when you already don't have the financial resources that other clubs around you kind of have, you're going to struggle and you have to make the most of when you go out and spend. And much like Bournemouth did before they got relegated, they went out and spent money terribly. Uh, not going to mention, but like didn't want to mention rather, but I'm going to um, the terrible signings they made from Liverpool. And I think, again, you see here in uh, Sheffield United just coming out, making horrendous deals in going out and getting a Brewster and like being like, hey, you're a young kid. We're going to put all our hopes on you. Like, yo, you need a proven goal scorer. Something, you know, Southampton were like, hey, we need a goal scorer. We're going to go get Danny Yang's. Go get somebody experienced instead of going and believing in youth because this is how you end up in Sheffield United. Like, they've spent on strikers after selling their own and they're just not going to score enough goals, as Will said. And I think... It sucks to see them this way, but I I would put them as the second favorites instead of West Brom at this point uh, in terms of getting relegated. Would you agree, well, Braden and Will? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's Fulham. I think it's Sheffield. And then from there, you have teams that I think have a lot more hope and a lot more to play for. But I think these two teams, like, something needs to change at Sheffield for them to pull out of this. Like, you can't. They can't do this and expect to not be relegated. I can think of the three teams who I know I would see going down right now, and I can easily see Sheffield in that mix. I can still see them making it out, but if they don't, I would not be surprised. All right. Uh, That brings us to an end to the first segment of this podcast. We're going to be back with quite a few games. One of the blinding games that happened at the new Tottenham Stadium Braden will have a lot to say about that. I definitely will have a lot to say about that. So we'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? Back with the second segment of this podcast. We have, first up, a very, very brilliant game. Crystal Palace took on Brighton of Albion, another one of those 1-1 draws that happened all over the league. Crystal Palace, uh, I would say, would feel the more unlucky team not to come out with the points, but Brighton, credit to them in my opinion, uh, coming out and playing the football that they do. And sadly, don't get the results when they still outplay teams because I think this is the same thing that happened in other games with Brighton as well. Brayden, I see you out there. I'm going to straight come to you. What's up? Yeah, this that's not my take on this. Uh, Palace had one shot in this game. It was a penalty, which they converted, so fair enough. But like, I that's just not a recipe for saying that- a team deserves it or should feel hard done by like I, I think Brighton That's were a better team here. I mean, okay. So for me, Brighton come out, play their fo- brand of football that they do. And it is very exciting to watch. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, you need to have more than three shots on target. Like, you know, the, you create all the chances, you do everything right. And then if there's no end product, I think that's what happened in Norwich last year at the end of the day. Like, you know, you have to kind of take your chances. And again, this is a game you thoroughly outplay your opponent. 
and don't win. And I think I don't mean Crystal Palace. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Would be happy, but like for them, a point they'll take it after getting outplayed like that. I agree with that. I, I agree with everything you said there. Um, some, something about like the Crystal Palace uh, coming away like they were, like they should have won, irks me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. but I, I agree with with that for sure. Well, I think Crystal Palace definitely don't deserve any sh- any goddamn thing from this match. To be completely honest. I think that is a soft ass penalty that they get awarded. I think it is a BS penalty that they upheld. I think Brighton played the better game. I think Brighton should have all three points. I think Crystal Palace did the thing that we always fucking talk about. We thought they were done doing. They scored a goal and they were like, it's time to turtle. We like, no, Brighton played a better game. They should have won. Crystal Palace got fucking lucky and that's the only reason they have a point and i will stand on that shit to the grave like that's a soft as baby shit penalty and like nah bruh doesn't sit right with me not a fan i think you're right but i i do think you know kind of to sapoon's point earlier i feel like we've this is kind of something we said about brighton a few times now where it's creating a lot of chances they should be coming out ahead and they're just not and so at some point you know Play style, being on top of your opponent, whether it's possession shots, all those sorts of things are great, but you do have to convert that into things and and not just, you know, have a lot of shots that aren't converted. It sounds like Norwich. Not going to lie. I don't think I'm that scared as I would be for Norwich, but it sounds a lot like that. And to to your point, you're completely right. I'm just still pissed about that penalty because it still feels like bullshit. Like, you're both right and all your points have been made, but like it should have never come to that. And I think Brighton should have just been able to grind this one out without that kind of clouding it, I guess. I guess um, we're just going to go on because I think we can talk about this game for days, but the next game definitely is a game. I think Brighton would want to talk for days. <laughs> Lanzini 90th minute. Absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful winner into the top corner. Or not winner, I guess. Uh, to see the point for West Ham United against Tottenham, who were leading at 3-0 at one point. Gareth Bale came on, changed everything for West Ham United, and absolutely uh, clowned the whole Tottenham Hotspur fan base. Uh, are you coming to me first? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm just going to let you have the, have the <laughs> Go for it, man. moment right now. Uh, I, I wish I had seen the Lanzini go live. Um, I, I turned it off shortly after uh, Tottenham went up 3-0. I was like, this is mostly done. Like, I, I, I'm not watching this. Uh, I, I can't just go through this again. I, I was raging about the, the start of this because... They looked so good. They looked so yeah. really good. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah. we talk about Chelsea, like, you know, being up like Tottenham looked phenomenal when they were up. Right. And, and Tottenham have, have some issues with defenders, but not, not like Chelsea, like Tottenham have a very good keeper. They don't got cap and goal. Right. right. They've got a very good keeper. I think outer wild is maybe not as good as he used to be, but he's still a good, a good defender. Aurier is Aurier. He contributes a lot in the offensive end, but not so much in the back, but he's a fullback. That's kind of okay. Um, 
But man, I when I saw the Lanzini go, like I, I just saw like all of a sudden like social media stuff going crazy, and then I saw Lanzini go, and I was like, oh, that is that that is Gareth Bale coming back and saying, you guys don't know how to be Spurs. Let me show you how to be Spurs. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I got to tell the story about how I watched this match. I was at work. And I went to the wrong store. I work in a mattress store and I went to the wrong location because I'm an idiot. But I started to watch the first half of this match with one of my coworkers and it's three nil. And I'm just like, this is stupid. Spurs are about to like be one of the best teams in England. And he turns to me and he goes, it's the premier league and it's Jose Mourinho. Don't doubt that something stupid won't happen. I realize I'm at the wrong store and I'm like, what do you mean by that? Get my car, go across the street because it's, it's a mattress store. They're everywhere. And uh, I go in and it starts to fucking happen. And they score two and he gives me a call. And he goes, I told you, man, the Premier League and Jose Mourinho. And I'm like, what? He's like, Jose Mourinho's always due for one stupid game a year. And this might be it. I don't know what premonition he was on. And I still don't know what he was saying. But Lanzini hits a rocket, and you would have thought that we won the fucking Champions League again. I ripped off my sweater and ran around that store like Jesus had come back to Earth. It was amazing. (laughs) David Moyes and his little celebration actually brought me a little bit of joy. Like, (laughs) it actually made me smile a little bit because the dude just got over COVID and his team came out, and by the grace of whatever's happening above us, stole one from the team who we thought could have been the champions of England five seconds ago. Also, we should have known what was going to happen when Gareth Bale came on the field, decided to take a free kick like a big giant star and missed the fuck out of it. This is the greatest moment of this weekend for me. And I just, it felt, I laughed really hard and, and I want to thank Spurs for that. I needed that. (laughs) That was really fun. You had quite the day then. I mean, uh, for me, I think it it was just hilarious to see uh, Tottenham do what Tottenham did. And I think Mourinho, for a very experienced manager, made a very naive mistake in taking off three of his best players on the day in, in Dombele, Son, and Bergwijn, and just like, you know, being like, ah, the game's over. And I, I think it was very disrespectful to Tottenham, uh, to West Ham from Tottenham in terms of, like, where the game was at. Because, you honestly, I... I personally think this, that when you bring on a player like Harry Winks, you bring on a player like Gareth Bale, Winks is prone to mistakes. Gareth Bale has not played a game in nine months. And on top of that, you bring in Lucas Moura, who's another attacking player. There's nobody who's going to come sure up that defense if something was to happen. And like once that freak second goal happens, you know, it's game on. So I think that it's kind of funny because Mourinho would rather keep a clean sheet than, you know, try to outscore the opponent. And when he does not have great defenders at the back, these are results that become very frequent. And again, with Europa League coming, I think expectations need to be kind of tampered for this team because at the end of the day, he's going to prioritize his silverware. He's in the League Cup semifinal, quarterfinal, semifinal, whichever round we're in. And he's going to go for the Europa League over trying to finish top four if it becomes uh, too much. Brayden, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, I think we're being a little harsh on Jose here. 
I think that Bale always needed some minutes, right? So, like, I think he... I think it makes sense to bring him on last 15. I don't have a problem with that. Um, Harry Winks for Ndombele. I, I understand some eyebrows being raised there. And, you know, if you really wanted to just see the game out, you know, maybe bring on Harry Winks for Son instead of uh, Mora. Like, maybe do something like that. Like, I, I do think there's criticism that you can levy at Jose, but I think a team of professionals should be able to close out a 3-0 lead, even if you're taking off three players who were very good, but I, I still think you should have expected them to see that game through. Well, that's fair enough, I guess. Uh, moving on to the final game on Sunday, Leicester City hosting Aston Villa. Aston Villa going on quite the run with another 1-0 away win. Leicester City cannot figure out to save their lives on how to score a goal. Um, Aston Villa at the very end Ross Barkley looks like the steal of the FPL so far Raiden, thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that, Barkley's come in and he's, he looks like another kind of shrewd uh, piece that they put around Grealish so you've got, you know, Grealish you've got McGinn, you've got Ross Barkley, um, you got Ollie Watkins like, all of a sudden there's pieces that you look at Villa and say it doesn't just have to be Jack anymore. Because especially once McGinn went down last year, it, it really did seem like that was all it was. Is hope Mings can keep it together at the back and, and Jack can get fouled enough to get a free kick and try to make something happen there. But they're a, they're a much better team right now than they, they were at this point last year. Just light years ahead, in my opinion. And I, I think we should start rationing up our expectations for Villa. Like, I don't think that they're just a team that's going to avoid relegation. I, I think they're going to push into the top half of the league. And once you get to the top half of the league, like a lot of weird things can happen because there's a lot of teams get pretty compressed and a few results go your way and you can end up in a Europa League spot or, you know, Villa's not going to backdoor to a top four, I don't think, but it's going to be a weird year. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. Like, things have happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, things have- like, it's going to be a weird year, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them around that area, even if they don't quite make it. For most of the match, it like these teams looked evenly matched. And when I say that, that's more – that's a better sign for Villa than it is for Leicester. Like, Villa – played up to what you would think Lester should be. And Lester, as I've said, probably enough times to hear myself say it a million times, played down to who they, their opponents. Villa looked the better side. I think most of this game though, is that goal by Ross Barkley. Like that's a hell of a hit. And that's a special way to win a match. And Lester on the day just didn't have it. I think this Villa team is, I was thinking this earlier, this Villa team is poised to be sitting around the top half of this table for a nice, decent amount of time. And especially to what Braden said, it's a weird fucking season. And just this this weekend kind of made me feel like Villa might be a little bit more real than people, other people may not be giving credit for. I hope I don't eat those words in like three days. I think... Uh... Vela's ceiling is what Jack Grealish's ceiling is, to be honest with you. Um, if if Jack Grealish can pull together one of the wildest seasons we've ever seen, I think you can't count like Aston Villa out of, you know, 
backdooring into a top six. I wouldn't say top four. But like at the same time, I think, but when you look at their uh, floor, I think that depends on what you make of their signings and the return of a John McGinn into the lineup. Because ultimately, when Grealish isn't firing, can Barkley continue? Can Ollie Watkins continue? Because Leicester, again, I, I found this in an article last year. Jamie Vardy is uniquely talented in scoring a lot of low expected goals. Uh, converting them into goals. He's like, he's an absolute outlier when people like talk in terms of graphs. Like if you plot it, there's everybody else. And then there's Jamie Vardy all by himself. And he kind of masks a lot of creativity issues that have like been happening with Leicester and kind of what they, why they fell off when James Madison kind of was unable to play, still is not fully fit from the looks of it. And then when they don't have Jamie Vardy, and also losing an outlet like Chilwell, it becomes very harsh for them. And I think Leicester City might be in for a interesting season because I don't know where their creativity comes from right now. And if Vardy's goals are going to dry up at some point, right? And if this is the season and he's old, like I think their floor could be uh, really, really low and lower than what a lot of people expect. I think that's a really good call out on Vardy just consistently beating his expected goals and what that means if you have to replace him uh, because you can't just go out and get a guy who does that like th- there's lots of guys who are you know good players getting good positions but you know you have a guy like even even a guy who's very good like Raheem Sterling who you know gets in lots of positions to score goals but ends up with scoring right around his expected goals. He can't replace Vardy. Like that that's not gonna that's not gonna help Lester if, if they went and did something like that. Like it, it's very hard to find that player. And I I think you're you're hitting a, the nail on the head here with um just how difficult and impactful that could be for Lester. It's <sighs> Like that, did you have the? I don't want to say a one man team because there's so many pieces on Leicester that should be shown up, but the team looks a wee bit toothless when Vardy's not even near the side. Like, I don't know if he's that much of an influence just as a person, but like, if he's not there, they kind of look a little tooth, yeah, toothless. I was gonna say toothsome, but that's more teeth. Um, I, I could see them not being anywhere near Europe, honestly, and. Villa being in the chase like this does not look good for Leicester right now yeah I'll agree and I think I mean Leicester's in Europe so it'll be interesting to see if they like try to prioritize or what they do with Europe because honestly that is a way for them because I think they will if they prioritize it finishing top eight ish they can make a run into that tournament but we shall have to see as far as Aston Villa goes I will make one last point Douglas Louise Keep an eye out on him. I think he can really cement his way into a top six team transfer for this upcoming summer if uh, this Aston Villa team does well. But moving on to the next game, West Brom taking on Burnley. I don't have a lot to say. Um, that Jan pretty much uh, sums up what we feel about this game. And I would just like to move on. Right Hashtag beige football. Hashtag beige football. The first no no draw. I, yeah, there's there's not a lot to say about this. Uh, Branislav Ivanovic's triumphant return. 
being tied with uh, Pereira, who I, I real I feel very highly on Pereira and very much rate him, but they both had the most shots for West Brom in this match at three. I just I don't have words for how bad this game was, and realistically, we should have predicted this game would be terrible. Uh, this is one of my best bets was West Brom was going to score a clean sheet win. I thought the clean sheet was the danger, not the like if they if if Burnley doesn't score then I, I just assumed if they kept a clean sheet it was gonna work out. And, and no. No, I did not get that joy. Um Nick Pope, good keeper. I've got nothing else to say on this. Um so I beige football, like legitimately I talked about it earlier, the the two matches that had teams who, like, if they just could score, they might be fine. This was the lesser of those two because they couldn't even score. Um, I I really wish I had so much more to add. The worst part about this match for me is, again, I'm watching a lot of these matches at work, and this was the one that I had all the time to watch, and then people came in when the good match came on, so I had to sit through – two hours of beige football to help a bunch of people. And like, I want my time back, honestly. Like I, I could have watched MLS game and like had more fun, like just the worst. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really going to entertain any more of that. Uh, Moving on to the last game of the weekend, Wolverham Wanderers taking on Leeds United, the high flying newcomers and uh, Wolves finally, kind of outworking their opponents seemed like a lot fitter than they looked a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Leeds United finally coming to a much more, you know, level playing field because it, uh, early on it absolutely looked like they were going to outwork everybody, if not outplay people uh, from on a very regular basis. Uh, Bielsa team kind of learning uh, their trade as well. Wolves kind of, I don't like, they look, a Premier League side, which had Premier League experience, whereas Leeds looked kind of naive, in my opinion. Brayden. Uh, yeah, I don't... This is a tough game to try to draw that much from, because I feel like Leeds were... I don't even necessarily want to say better, but I, I think Leeds had some chances that they didn't put away in there, and, you know... Wolves just kind of grinded out a win. And that's a thing that they've done uh, over the past couple of years, I think, is that you, when Wolves have kind of needed to get a result, they, they've done it. Um, so, I mean, credit to them, but I just, like, Jimenez had a nice goal. Like, credit to him, but I don't, I I think Leeds played well and can kind of, take that from this match, but I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what the long-term takeaways I have of this game are. Like, I think there's two teams that kind of played around their level and Wolves got the better of it. Um, I can, I can agree with that. I think, I think my biggest takeaway from this match is we we've mentioned it before and I keep referencing before because you should listen to the entire podcast um, about how wolves, when they play bigger teams, they can like go out and just shoot the stars out and just do really well. But when they get laterally, they can't really close out games. They get a little lackadaisical. Like that. 
they played the team who was lateral to them right now, and they grinded out a win. And like they really grinded it out because Leeds was really giving it to them. I think what Sapoon said is very, very true. I think this is a wolf side that has a little bit more seasoning to them, a little bit more sauce, if you will, and like kind of feel them kind of feel that they can do this sort of thing. They can play up with a team who's near them, and they just have that little bit of quality that's going to see them out. Leeds is going to get there. They're just new to the scene. Um, these are we got a chance to talk about the three teams who I think are going to be floating in that European conversation for the rest of the season in this last little segment. And it's going to be really fun to watch the three of them, Aston Villa, Wolves, and Leeds, kind of beat the shit out of each other. Uh, because that's you want parity in the league and you want some. You want some traditional English clubs to be good, so why not have you know these dudes kind of button heads? It's nice. I, I like this match. It was fun. <laughs> I, you know what? I will say this, and I yes, Europe is going to come in and disrupt a lot of things for the bigger teams right now. But I think over time, the for the bigger teams, they will start getting used to playing two games a week. Then December is going to come around and. You know, teams like Leeds, teams like Wolverhampton Wonders, they're going to have to play multiple games a week and they're going to struggle, in my opinion. I think we can get very enthusiastic about these teams potentially making it to Europe, but I think when, until and unless they show you that they can do it in those months when you have to play multiple games, I don't know if um, I would count teams like Leeds and uh, Aston Villa just up there just yet i think there's a chance but uh we'll see in terms of uh especially in terms of um leeds united because this is their first season up any uh final takeaways for the weekend uh, anything you guys are looking forward to in the upcoming week to bet on maybe i'm looking forward to watching more spurs matches all the way through this time <laughs> don't don't leave your match before it doesn't happen. Um, I one more story when they disallowed the offside goal in the Liverpool match. I was actually driving to work. I had to pull over in the Napa lot by the Mercedes Benz because if I didn't, I would have hurt several people because <laughs> I had to get out of my car and I think I looked like a complete idiot because I just yelled to this guy. And then promptly got back in my car and just drove off to work. I, I'm actually excited for the next weekend because this league makes me fucking emote like that. And quite honestly, with everything going on, as much as it sucked, it was kind of nice to get wrapped up in something else. So, fuck it. Let's do it again. <laughs> Brayden, uh, do you think without Virgil van Dijk, their floor is outside the top four? Yes. Interesting. Agreed. I think that will... I guess now Allison becomes even more important uh, and we shall see when he comes back and a lot more Champions League is back. So watch that on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Europa League on Thursdays and the Premier League on the weekends. So hopefully you don't get fired if you are watching that much football. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> we shall catch you guys sometime this week with all the betting nuggets, with all the input we can give you for this upcoming weekend's Premier League games. So we'll see you on the other side. Cheers. Happy anniversary, Alison. I love you.